Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Brew Theology Podcast. My name is Ryan Miller, and I'm back. It's been four weeks since I've done a recording, so we have a new baby girl, Anna Jacqueline Miller. She's a month now. It's crazy. Oh it is. Goodness. Yeah, so I want to thank Janelle and a team of people who've been doing this the last four weeks and knocking out some killer episodes. So speaking of, you guys, I'm a sports fan. I know, sports metaphors, boring. But hey, you never know, 50% of the people might like this, because we've learned a lot about 50% in our country recently. So I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, obviously, and my boy Romo gets hurt before the season starts. Cowboys are now 8-1 on an 8-0 run right now wow. with a young quarterback rookie, Dak Prescott. So Romo comes in today for um, a team, well, a, a press conference, and he says, uh, no longer the guy anymore. Dak's the guy. Classy act. So I kind of feel like, you know, not that I'm Romo and you're Dak, Janelle, <laughs> but I feel like in a way, you know, I was like, hey, you guys have been killing it for four episodes, so uh, you should be hosting because you're actually much better at it than me. So thank no, no. There it is. There's, uh, there's my shout out to sports. And we're, we're going to come back full circle when we talk about the Cleveland Browns later because I thought about that. Cleveland Browns will come up later in this episode. So tonight, episode 15, I believe, talking about hashtag blessed. Thanks to Monica Cox over here for the great content. So we'll be talking about Manifest Destiny, the Prosperity Gospel, Joel Osteen's Smile, Global South, and Donald Trump will come up. So this is actually really fresh right now. It's a week after November the 8th, and we actually had this pub gathering two days after the election, and now we've had a week to process all that. So we had some heavy, somber groups. We definitely got political. So if you're listening right now, I'm just going to say we're going to get probably probably political tonight. Yes? Most it's likely. It's going to happen. And so we'll start off with some introductions and some basic rules. Who wants to start? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll start. You start. Yeah, I'll <laughs> So Ryan Miller, you guys have heard this a, a lot. I grew up Southern Baptist Evangelical, and 18 years ago, I quit being Southern Baptist, mostly because of the issue of women in ministry, or the lack thereof, in my context, and worked predominantly in moderate evangelical churches over the years, and I gleaned from the Anabaptist, gleaned from the Methodists, the Pentecostals, and the Jews. So I am an evolving Anabaptist, Methodist, Jew-Costal follower of Jesus, and tonight I'm going back to my heritage, and I'm drinking the Big Bad Baptist Stout from Epic Brewing. Because, you know, to get political tonight, I have to redeem a little bit about the 81% evangelical vote. So here, cheers to the Baptist. <laughs> cheers. <laughs> uh, my name is Janelle, and I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene, uh, which is a conservative evangelical holiness church. Um, when we moved here to Colorado four years ago, I kind of went through a transition and served at an independent church, and now I attend an ELCA church and host the house church in my home on Monday nights. Um, and tonight I'm drinking the local Dry Dock Oktoberfest, and it's fantastic. My name is Chris Chacon. Um, I was born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness, as many of you know, if you've been to pub theology before, and we've spoken. Um, tonight I'm drinking Colorado Native, very appropriate, being a Colorado Native myself, Amber Ale. Um, they brew that in gold in Colorado. And I'm looking forward to talking about blessings. Hi, I'm Monica. Um, I wrote the content for tonight, which was quite um, interesting. I also grew up Nazarene. Um, very fundamental. <laughs> um, but I grew away from that as I um, hit 18, 19, and really when 2001 happened and we had such a horrible response um, to Middle Eastern countries and Muslims. Um, and now I'm definitely a pluralist. Um, I, Christianity is still my, my box. So um, I love Jesus. Um, I'm drinking red wine out of a box because I'm classy like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Liz. And um, up until I was 17 years old, I was a devout Christian, but um, kind of a mutt. I went to Sunday school, and when I was in high school, I was all about youth group and being in the choir and um, loved going to church and loved God and became, then became an atheist. Um, after a while, I got um, tired of not having a spiritual practice and I was really introduced to mindfulness-based um, therapy and mindfulness-based thinking and I really liked it. 
And anymore, um, I'm moving closer and closer to um, being a Buddhist by faith and by guiding principle. And so that's kind of where I am, but where I'm going, who knows? What are you, what are you drinking, oh, Okay, I'm drinking a little um, Trader Joe's Limeade mixed with Trader Joe's seltzer. We're eating Trader Joe's puff pastry, Trader Joe's <laughs> pink and white cookies. Trader Joe's better sponsor this episode. Yeah. <laughs> Trader Joe's hasn't paid me anything. I've given them lots of money. Okay. <laughs> well, you are blessed. Bless your heart. Bless so, my heart. Yes. Bless so, tonight, the subtitle is Are We Hashtag Blessed This Thanksgiving? And before we get into the first question about Thanksgiving and blessings and then getting into Jesus, let's go backward and kind of just top of your head, not Hebrew, not Greek, but when you hear the word blessed, what do you think of? What is blessed? Material wealth and comfort. Blessed, I would say, uh, immediately my mind jumps to uh, good mental health, good physical health. Blessed with, um, with, with those necessities to live a, a good life as a baseline. <laughs> yeah, I feel like... <clears throat> Blessed always conveys like someone doing the blessing too, and as an atheist anymore, it's it feels more like blessing is some is a descriptor rather than a it's an adjective rather than a verb. But I think that's mostly the conveyance. Someone's tapped you with the magic wand of blessing. I have to admit that I'm a little skeptical of the word because I see people use it a lot of the time to kind of justify where they are or to make themselves feel better and I that really frustrates me because I think we should be careful about what we say we're blessed for. So then going back to the the language here because we're going to get to the Beatitudes which is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says blessed are thee and so the word there is markias and so one of the the people from our group last Thursday had said well, it means happy, literally, because when you, you know, the Greek marquias means happy, oh. but then the Hebrew is baruch, and I, um, I do wonder about, so, I mean, is, are you always happy when you're blessed? No, no, I don't think so. What does baruch mean? Baruch just means blessed. I don't know beyond that. Yeah, baruch So, but I mean, Well, that usually contains from, when I've talked to people, that's often used in the sense of like, um, God's taking care of us, providing for us. Um, we're, mm. we're blessed in that way. Yeah. Like the manna from heaven story. Right. And right. Being, yeah. More material than, yeah, a than little, a, yeah. an emotional feeling mm. of happiness. Mm-hmm. So Thanksgiving is going to happen. I don't know if this is going to be released release before or after Thanksgiving. So we gather around the table and we say we are so thankful because we are blessed is this something that your families do? Are you? I mean, let, let's let's just start off before we dive deep into politics and manifest destiny. What are you thankful for? And do you feel weird when you say thank you for A, B, and C? That's the thing too. When, when we were talking about blessedness, my question was: Is it the same as gratefulness? Hmm. So I would say that gratefulness um, is tied a lot to uh, blessings, counting your blessings. That's something. I was told a lot growing up, count your blessings, and you hear today uh, to count the things you're fortunate enough to be privileged with or things you've worked towards um, and just being in a, in a good circumstance that many people might not be in. Are you willing to share something you're particularly grateful for this year? Um, yes, being in my final year of college. So. Yes, <laughs> that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Getting ready to graduate um, and that opportunity uh, wasn't necessarily given to me, but I, I was born into a, a country where that is an option and um, work, worked towards that and uh, found as many necessary aids as possible, you know, different financial aids. and uh, Sometimes it was out of pocket, but made it work. So, Yeah, so when I'm around the Thanksgiving table, I feel very warm and fuzzy and I'm with my family and I f- think about how grateful I am. But then on the other hand... We have money for like a big fat turkey and like a hundred sides and homemade pies and there's 20 healthy family members there who are all doing okay. So am I, am I just too privileged to really understand? I wonder if I'd feel blessed if I was hungry. If I had someone deliver me a turkey, an evangelical Christian deliver me a turkey the night before Thanksgiving and some generic toothpaste. Would I still feel like so blessed? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I 
grew up and still to this day, I'm thankful for not only the food, but the football. I'm a football guy, so go Cowboys. So I associate Thanksgiving <laughs> with Cowboys play every Thanksgiving, Longhorns play in the evening, so go football. What is that such a privileged thing to say? Oh, man. Okay, before we go Debbie Downer on everybody right now, so let's, let's get to Jesus, because maybe Jesus has something a little bit more uplifting. In Matthew 5, he calls his disciples toward him up on a mountain, and then he says this blessing. Blessed are. He says, blessed are those who are what? Poor in spirit. And then? Becoming. And those who are? Meek. Hung, you know, thirsting, hungry, hungry, thirsting for righteousness. Merciful, and, pure. Peacemakers. Yeah, and he basically says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of God. You will be filled. You'll be content. God is on your side. But he seems to flip it, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Whereas we, we've been talking about, oh, if you're blessed, you feel good. You get a college degree. You get turkey. You get mm-hmm. toothpaste on Thanksgiving. Whatever it is, is you, get, you get your football team. <laughs> whatever. But in this sense, Jesus is saying, okay, no, so blessed are these, these people. What, is this, what does this even mean in the ancient world? What does this mean in our context today? How far removed are we from 2,000 years of Jesus speaking in a Galilean countryside? I think we're a long way away because I think part of what makes this list so confusing for today's Christians is that it really lifts up the oppressed and those that are suffering and hurting and says to them that I... I will take care of you. And I think that, I, I mean, I've heard so many weird sermons and Bible studies about how do we interpret this and how do we act on it and what does God mean? And I think that if we look at it as a whole, at least, we see God saying that taking care of the oppressed and the less fortunate is a huge part of what we're to do and, and how we care for our neighbor. Yeah, I think um, we have to remember the historical context, which was Jesus was a Jew, and they were under Roman occupation, and they were oppressed, they were poor, um, most of them physically. Um, you know, their their religion was, uh, they, they were being oppressed. So he was speaking into that context, but I have a little bit more, for today, I think of it as like, we can't know joy unless we have known sorrow. We just, unless we know the evil and the bad and the suffering, we just, we're not complete people without that, um, that shadow side of us and others. So it's really funny to hear Monica say that coming from the same background, because I think one of the gaps in the theology that we came from is that we try to erase the negative. Mm-hmm. We try to erase the negative in ourselves and um, use a language that we're no longer intentionally sinning. Um, even if there is suffering near us. And I, I'm not saying that that makes you guilty, but I just feel like we kind of, at least in my part of the country, was was really taught that you could be sinless and free from all of that. And as I've just grown in my faith, it's so important to deal with the ugly stuff. And it's so important to like recognize that in yourself. And I'm not saying God can't heal it or fix it, but to, to work with it and work to be better but you can't do that if you're saying that I don't have it. Right. Um, and I think that acknowledgement of being less than is really important in our walk. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about Buddhism is the idea that um, sort of changing the script just a little bit, but I think it ties really well into the Beatitudes. But the idea is that if you suffer, if things happen to you that cause you to suffer, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's just that suffering is part of life. And... Um, you know, and be grateful for the things that come your way and take it as a whole. There's good and bad together. And that, you know, you can appreciate when you're poor, when you're grieving, all of these things. And so that idea of, you know, uh, and then if you, if you get good things in life, it's not necessarily because you did something right. It's just, that's just how life cycles through. So that idea of um, uh, uh, appreciating and valuing the, the darker sides of life just as equally as, as the, the sort of more joyful and light sides of life taking it in stride. I think that's what I really appreciate about this and about the Buddhist teachings that I've learned. So, Yeah, I think these Beatitudes, for me, it's hard to say, oh, I know what they mean. So sure, I've studied them. We, you know, I've been to Israel, but okay, I, I, I wasn't a first century Jew. I, wasn't, I don't understand what it means to be in this 90 plus percent of poverty and oppression and having this empire over me. 
Still, okay, theology is contextual. We would all agree that any kind of thing that's practical in our lives, like, you know, we sort of, we put that on our theology. Mm -hmm. So let's just be honest about what happened seven days ago with some people in our country who then, you know, there's this outcome, there's this election that happens, and they are the minority. Whether it's, I mean, we have right now, we have, we have three females here. So there's a president who has said certain things about women. Uh, we, all of us have friends who are LGBT, right? We have friends who, um, who are uh, different colored skin. We have, I mean, You're right, Muslim, we, our friend, right, our friend right. on our podcast is yeah. Muslim. Yeah. And family. so, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't get that because I'm a, I'm a white privileged guy, but I think, okay. Yeah, you're, you're trying to jump 2,000 years, Ryan. But okay, we all jump however many years when we do theology. I think in this sense, reading these Beatitudes, and I hear Jesus now, I'm saying, I'm seeing him and hearing him going, I've got you. I love you. Yeah. You're mine. You're my boy blue, right? You're my girl. I love you. And so my, my followers, the 12, you know, those are his, his boys. They're, they're following in his footsteps, being covered in his dust, becoming like the rabbi. So he's saying, now do this. Now do what I'm doing. Love on these people. So these are words that are, man, this is tough because to love the oppressed, it's not. I mean, that's, that's not a fun thing to do. Uh, you're not on the winning team. You, I mean, this is, uh, you're going to get made fun of. I mean, imagine them telling students at school, hey, by the way, stick up for, you know, we, we would tell kids that in youth ministry all the time. Stand up for those who are being bullied, and they're like, "Yeah, it sounds great, youth group." But then they get in school, and they go, oh, "It's a little bit harder in school." You know, people are. Yeah, what's so hard about it? Do you think? Uh, Social capital. Yeah. I mean, you're just. I mean, if you're popular, that's going to cost you. If you're a nerd, then you're even more nerdy. Um, and if somebody's standing in the way from you, shouting "Build the wall" and won't let you go to class, um, to break through that line on the behalf of someone is. I mean, it's it's social suicide, even if it's the right thing to do. So we're all risking ostracization, which yeah. as humans yeah. and as social creatures, we're not really designed to live outside of the embrasure of our yeah our, our families and our communities, right? So that's sure. so, like a fate worse than death. Like exile is a fate worse worse than death. Yeah, you don't want to flip the the paradigm, the, the systems of power like Jesus has. That's mm-hmm. you want to stay in power. You want to stay in privilege. You want to be comfortable. Yeah, we all do. It's even like we've talked about racism before and unconscious bias in different episodes and how it's when you get to that point when you go, okay, we're all, we're all very tribal. We don't want to be racist or sexist or homophobic or Islamophobic, but okay, to a degree, we all, we all like people who are like us, who look like us, who talk like us, who have our same education until then you go, wait a second, that's messed up. (laughs) So then you hear the words of Jesus going, maybe I can be around people who are different from me and see the beauty in them. Yeah. Well, I'm really reminded of Miguel de la Torre's talk when we did it with him because the other thing, the other cost to standing up against oppression is that if you are someone in the minority and you are trying to break through that wall, you can pay the ultimate consequence, just like Jesus. I mean, we talked a little bit about that, like, you know, and the, uh, the the threat of real consequence, not just, I mean, social consequence is real, but actual violence, actual harm, actual, you know, um, imprisonment, imprisonment in some circumstances and in some societies, that's really real. And I think that's, I think what, certainly what I'm concerned about. Yeah. So. Right. So to be a, to be a blessing to others and then to, to, to live in that is, is really not what we would call blessing. Right. Like in if America. you would sacrifice yeah. yourself, like put yourself on the mm-hmm. line and, and risk it all for somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. And I think part of it too is, is being um, coming from a, a minority background myself. You and and looking at history, for example, like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, they had the same goal. Many would maybe say, but they had very different ways of going about it. And so I think it's sometimes the oppressed communities, um, of course, get get sick of being oppressed, and that's just kind of a human thing. And um, I think about uh, who was it, Peter, who cut off the guard's ear when, when he touched Jesus or when he put his hands on Jesus and Jesus was all about turning a other cheek. So Jesus, uh, they both wanted the same thing and neither wanted this to, to happen where Jesus would be uh, tortured or beaten up and those kinds of things. Um, but there's different ways in, within that community of handling it. And so they, they kind of have to mobilize and they have to take sides even among the oppressed so that it becomes 
more of, of, a, of a mess, of a messy situation. And then people on the outside looking in look at that and don't know what to do sometimes. I think there's also something about hitting bottom um, that's very freeing and can be a blessing uh, mm -hmm. because you all of a sudden realize, okay, I didn't need the social capital, I didn't need the wealth, I didn't need the esteem. This is authentic, true life without all the trappings. Um, and I think every, you know, evangelical kid that went on a mission trip to some poor when they were teenagers, they're like, I don't understand why these people are so happy. They have literally nothing. And I had that experience when I went to Juarez, Mexico. Um, and I think that's common. And it's hard for us Americans to understand why they're happier than us, you know? And I think that's what the Beatitudes are getting at a little bit. So going back to our country, <laughs> Manifest Destiny, City mm -hmm. on a Hill, something that may have been taken out of context. Jesus says, he says this in a sermon, right? You're the light of the world, a city on a hill. So then people who come to America have said, let's create Manifest Destiny out of those verses right here. So Manifest Destiny is a belief that God specifically gave the U.S., a divine destiny based upon values such as equality, freedom of thought, religion, personal liberty, and this laissez-faire capitalism that empowered our nation to set an example for all humankind of moral dignity and salvation. So, Micah, you, and you continue writing here, you say, its proponents say that the U.S., the United States' history and its mission give it a superiority over other nations and that the proof is in our immense wealth and the power that it gives us. So then the belief has led to this colonization, military intervention, uh, this occupation of other countries who don't have the same political, they don't have the same economic or religious and moral practices as us because we are the best. Make America great again. There it is. I said it. All right. Uh, is it a thing? Does, I mean, is this, is, this, is this a real thing? We would say historically, of course, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or imperialism. And Max Weber uh, spent a lot of time talking about this in um, his book, The Protestant Ethic and Spirit of Capitalism, linking together the ethics and morals of the, the pilgrims when they came right. and how capitalism developed and this idea that when I'm in good relationship with God, then I am blessed with material things. And so it's honestly woven into the fabric of who we are. And I don't think there's really a way around that reality that it's, it is who we are as Americans, this, this strange mix of a Protestant ethic and a capitalistic way of doing business. But when you have people who look at this scenario and they go, wait, this isn't who we should be. When you, when you get beyond your yeah. tribe, you know, you get beyond your team, whatever that is, Team U.S., you go, maybe other people do matter. Maybe it's not just about making our country great, whatever great means, but it's about making other people great, too. Yeah. And that's, but that, that, those are fighting words. Yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely have been outspoken to myself and to other people and my values about, about lifting people up and about, you know, and I've you know, um, always been dismayed with America's legacy of capitalism and the westward expansion and um, all the, you know, the genocide of, of Native peoples. The list goes on and on. But the truth is, if you ask me, I would say, but, 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 but guys, I really, I really do like America. Like, I really do believe in the U.S. Constitution as being a, an enabling document that makes things happen um, and, and makes people's lives better and enables things to get better and is, is, gives a progressive ethos. And so, you know, do I think that um, the implementation of U.S.-style democracy in all other countries is the very best thing in the world? I mean, not necessarily, but I think, I don't know, there's something about me that, that does breathe a sigh of relief to know that, you know, um, universal rights and, and um, constitutional-style democracy is ex does exist in other parts of the world. So, I mean, in some ways, I'm like, I kind of buy into that. Like, just, like, makes me cringe a little bit to say, but... Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no perfect government. It's a, it's a good government. It's got its flaws. But then it, here's the, the hard part is when we're talking theology here, if people who are rooted in a religion, it's that, that mixing where you can't even tell the difference between your religion and this oh. concept of manifest destiny. Well, so, yeah. so, yeah, so then you have a lot of people who are Judeo-Christian 
who bought into, if you mess with this, then you're messing with their gospel. Ah, yeah. I see. Oh, yeah. Okay. I went to a really conservative college, and basically you couldn't tell if you were Christian because you were conservative or if you were conservative because you were Christian. And for a lot of the people that attended our student fellowship, it, it was really up in the air, like which was which and which order did it come in because they were so integrated mm. with each other. WWJD. Yep. What would Jesus do, Monica? You wrote the content. What would he say about this? Oh, man. I mean, I like America, too. On the other hand, we don't have, you know, health care for everybody, and, and there's things that we uh, feel on. Um, I mean, I think of Standing Rock and the protests going on there now. Um, Standing Rock is a really good, um, brings up a lot of questions about Manifest Destiny mm-hmm. because... What are we going to do with the promises we made in the past? How long are we going to keep them? You know, how badly do we want oil? And how cheaply do we want it? Um, and actually, I don't know how to answer those questions. Well, yeah. And no, no pun intended, but what, what trumps human rights? So going to her Standing Rock example, there's uh, eminent domain. That's something that's in the Constitution. Yep. The government has a legal right to go in and say, we need this land, we'll reimburse you, but we need this land, we're taking it. And that's going to be something people have to decide if, if they're okay with, if they just keep taking land. Um, they've taken, uh, taken enough land, I would say, uh, you know, from many Native American communities. Um, but that's a battle that's, that's come up time and, and time again, kind of. And uh, There's a parable... Going back to um, theocracy, which, which Liz brought up, um, about the missionary going to the quote-unquote primitive village people or whoever uh, on some remote island. They've never had contact with people. And uh, the, the Christian missionary explains basically everything from scratch, you know, who Jesus is, because these people have no, no background. They don't, they don't know. And so the villager says, well, once, he, once he, he explains heaven and hell and and this missionary's version of, of Christianity, the, the villager says, so if, uh, before we met, you know, I, I, would I have gone to hell? And the Christian says, well, no, because I, you didn't know God, about God. And he says, but now that you've come to tell me about hell, I have to make a choice. And if I choose to not agree with you, I go to hell. And the missionary says, well, yeah. And he goes, so then why did you come over here to tell me? <laughs> you could have left me alone and... Things would have been, would have been things would have been for the <laughs> yeah, better. Been things, yeah. Nothing would have changed. So uh, I always just kind of like that parable. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, we have a lot of things, a lot a lot of that theocracy based religion or uh, based government comes out of fear. Um, I think the biggest fear Donald Trump drew was, or one of the biggest fears was was ISIS was was ISIL, was the caliphate, all these words that are thrown in our media, and they're actual things that are happening. Um, a real theocracy. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a small minority of, of, of radical Muslim believers who want to establish a, a Muslim caliphate, right. where gay people are executed, where women are literally property. And then we have, on the other side of the spectrum, um, here in America, Christian theocracy ideologies where um, maybe we don't execute homosexual people, but we sure will never let them get married. We'll never let them adopt children. Um, we'll, you know, make sure drugs and alcohol are, are banned again and, and those kinds of things. And again, that's a minority of, of Christians. Most Christians, I would say, would not, of course, be on board with that. But there's a very outspoken, vocal Christian right that is. I think another thing that speaks into this I heard yesterday, so after Brexit, one of the highest Google searches was Brexit. After the election, the highest Google searches were fascism, misogyny, um, and all those words that we've been talking about, racism. Xenophobia. Xenophobia. People voted without even knowing what they were voting about. And I think that even testifies to this idea of manifest destiny, that we are the best and, and, you know, it's not going to hurt us, so I don't need to know mm-hmm. what I'm actually casting my vote for right now because it'll be taken care of. Yeah, and I, and I heard two nights 
after the election, somebody who is a Christian, strong Christian, great person, this is a friend of mine's relative who had said that their, their relative did not have any clue about any misogyny. And I go, wait, 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 you, you mean to tell me that not once did, did, did your relative like see anything in the news or like what were they watching? But I think you choose to see what you want to see, hear what you want to hear. And if you just hear a message of making America great, anything that pops up that's against that message that puts your candidate down. Hmm. So, but, and, and, his, and I'm, I'm not saying this, this person, I mean, this person is an intelligent person. They just chose not to even admit that that existed. How do you even miss the whole grab them by the beep? That's, I mean, I heard it so many times. I was no, feeling traumatized. No, this, this, like, uh, this, this person did not, did not uh, know about it. Well, or maybe didn't make the connection between um, something that was inappropriate, crass, um, unprofessional, and, and didn't make the draw between that and being hateful towards women or degrading towards women. As, as a group. Or even taking it further for people who did know, who watched the news, who went to Fox, CNN, all the whole gamut, and yet people like you were saying on the religious right who said, well, you know, Trump's a different man now. He's changed. He's saved. That was, we got to have grace for him. He's 70. He didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you had the same narrative. This is the, this is the framework. This is what you want to see play out. You choose to believe what you right. want to believe and hear what you want to hear. So back to Manifest Destiny, City on a Hill, you want your country to be what it used to be, and you'll do whatever it takes to get it there. But what's wrong with where we are? Well, for some people, you got to understand where we are is, is backward. Where we, you know, most of us here, I would say we're all pretty progressive. It's, yeah, okay, hey, uh, oh, shocker, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Those who are listening, listening to this podcast, yeah, yeah. Yeah. breaking now. But, yeah. but, but there, there is another group of people out there who think that we have moved into a place of, of Rome and Babylon because we have allowed gay people to get married because we have, you know, uh, abortion is legal. I mean, that, and that's, if you try to get yourself into that, into that tribe, into that worldview, like, okay, that does make sense. So then you can't see anything outside of that. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and, and just exposure to the global population in the last, what, 10 years or whatever has exploded. So there's more, you know, literally way more people on the earth. And so more things are going to happen, good and bad, and just global event, recognizable events around the world. And social media played a huge part, I think, in it. Um, the news. So those people that you were speaking of are generally older. Uh, they've been around a while. And so they've, they've seen the, the times change. And maybe, you know, 50 years ago, I would, have I would have no idea what's going on in Alabama or the middle of Florida or in Malaysia or anywhere. I knew what was happening here in Colorado where I live or maybe Kansas or Nebraska. Like, it's different. Now, everything it just spreads like wildfire, the news. And so it can seem, when you have kind of an alarmist platform of everything's burning, look at how bad everything is, all these explosions, all these stabbings, all these shootings, all the and that's true to a point, I guess, because like I said, there's more people, but you're exposed a lot more to it as well because mm. you grew up in a very little bubble and now the world is literally the bubble that you, you can see on the news and you do see all the time. And they never report, or they rarely report on the orphans who were saved or the oh, yeah. grandmother who did something good or, or something like that. Uh, it's very quality negative. Of life. Yeah, it's quality very, of life is generally better for so many more people <laughs> than it was 50 years ago yeah, as a baseline you standard. See yeah, a lot of the, the negative news items, and, and I mean, you should when you see an actual terrorist attack or shooting and stuff like that. They're important to report on, but I think sometimes we focus too much on them. Um, well, and is there, a, is there an, um, a way that those of us who um, in general are doing pretty good and who may be may be blessed by any standard that you want to choose. Is there um, a reason and a, an ability for people to um, find themselves identifying with those people who Jesus is describing in the Beatitudes? I'm feeling poor of spirit. I'm feeling grieved. I'm feeling... I, I, I am. I'm, I am these people that, that Jesus is talking to. Yet even at the same time, if you were to talk to evangelicals right now, they would tell you that we're persecuting them. Yeah. We're just whining, and we're putting all this pressure on them, and they did the right thing. And 
I mean, it, unfortunately, that goes both ways, too. Yeah, so... It all depends on how you want to see it. Right, so I guess, is there a way of, dis- of, discern- of, of pulling that apart and discerning? Is it really just a matter of subjective? Is it subjective? I mean, the fact is, wages have been going down since the 70s. And so... Relative to the value of money. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the college education has, what, gone up 10, 12 times, maybe? Um, healthcare, of course, is out of control. For a lot of people, America was better, kind of in that golden age of um, the 50s and the 60s, especially for older people. Yeah. Um, you could get a, a and, really good job without college education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we, we can't forget about our brothers and sisters in the Rust Belt and people who are suffering economically, who have been left behind by this new economy. Um, you know, Trump had a message, and it was received, and they were passionate about getting him voted in, because um, they want to be blessed too, because America is the city on the hill. I mean, that is the message, and if they're not, whoever is not getting that benefit, uh, they're going to be angry, because that's the whole, that's who we're supposed to be. I mean, I'm saying I, I understand. Yeah. What happened? Well, and, it, and there is a certain amount of relativity, too, right? Like, this idea of, of decline. When you have something, or you perceive you have something, and you lose it, that is, that is hard to face versus never having it. Or a state of increase, like, 50 years ago, people in China who didn't have opportunity, who now they're having jobs and they're sending their kids to well-paying careers in the city. I mean, you know, things... Yeah, I mean, millennials were like, we have tolerance, and... You know, rights for people, and we're so liberal, and it's okay that we don't have money. I mean, really, it's not okay, but we're, we've kind of entered into this age where older people are like, whatever, I want money. I mean, I can understand that, you know. If I have three kids going to college, I, I, I might choose the same right. thing, too. Right, so. right. And if you, you can't vote your conscience, you mean, which obviously, you're going to vote your paycheck or lack thereof. That makes sense. Yeah. Sure. And your access people do. to health yep. insurance and mm-hmm. all those things. Hmm. All right. Let's talk about the global south because we think we're poor. Hmm. Suffering in third world countries. I'm just kind of curious. Have you all been to third world countries or talked to people who've come to America and they told you their experience of third world countries? Yeah, I've done yeah. travel in Asia mm-hmm. and Mexico and Africa, actually. Have you? I've been to India and I've been to all over Asia. So I've been to Japan, which is like more first class, like more first world than first world. And then I've been to Thailand, which is a, still a developing country in some ways. Yeah, I've not, uh, I've not traveled, but um, uh, we had a, a couple of good family friends from Ghana. I'm not sure if that would count as a, as a third world country, but there's yes, definitely some that's developing one of the poverty. I yeah. went to. Yeah. Was it? Okay, yeah. yeah. Very um, developing. Yeah. And yeah, they're very. Um, I mean, what something they told us is that just they they're very hardworking. They appreciate the amount of work that is here, you know, um, or just the options, the, the doors that are open coming to America. And I've known several immigrants that have come from third world com- countries. So it says here in Monica's notes that 2015, the average GDP per capita in Latin America was. 15,617, while the U.S. per capita soared to 51,486. So why is Latin America so much poorer than the U.S. when 90% of its population is, here it is, Christian? Are they blessed? Are they unblessed? City on a hill? I think it's it's interesting. Oh, my gosh. Something that got pointed out when we were discussing this over beers last week is... um, it's so interesting for for a guy who like wandered around and like didn't own anything and um, was homeless, you know, like the gospels are all about money, like in some ways, like we're you know, it's all about you know loving the tax collectors and turning over the the, the commerce and the temples and and Roman coin and Caesar and it's all about money actually. Abandoning so, yeah. earthly treasures. Yeah. So yeah. what's that? What's that about? The love of money. <laughs> the root, not money, but the love of money. Is the root of all evil. Yeah. The love of money. Yeah. Why is that? 
I would say, I would say, so I think it's important, in my opinion, I would say the, the poor, even the poorest person in America has a, a lot more open to them and a lot more, maybe materially, for lack of a better word, than, than the, the average person or the poorest person in those third world countries. We're a very different country, just fundamentally, we're, we're very different. Um, and then the, the, the wealth distribution is another thing, and that's what, what many candidates... Sanders, Trump, Hillary, everybody hit on, and everybody mostly agreed with on, no matter who you were, was that it's not evenly distributed. There's, there's whatever percentage you want to use, they, they threw out one, the top 1% owns most of that, the majority of that wealth. So the average American um, isn't seeing that. They're not, they're, yeah, they're wealthy, but they're not, it's not like they're, they're bankrolling, they're struggling to get by, they're um, having to, you know, foreclose the, foreclose on the houses and they can't send the kids to college and so those those kinds of things so the, the 51,000 belies the actual reality mm -hmm. of the average American right. experience right. in terms of income and there are lots and lots of people that live way below I mean right. the, that's an average, hitting average. that 15,000 would yeah. be awesome yes, for them that's mm -hmm. correct yeah. um, even in the US mm -hmm. and so I think that we have to you know remember the inequality that's here mm -hmm. that that is honestly maybe a, a little harder to see sometimes in a place like Denver right. um, because Denver's pretty prosperous right now. Um, well, and it would be totally it would be totally trite for anyone to say in any circumstance due to your wealth or lack thereof or your sense of being in grief or not in grief. Like no one would wish. No one would say like you, you're more blessed because you don't have. You know what I mean? Like or oh, you know, actually, someone oh. at our table said that last week. Oh, like people are lucky that, to experience that, but that if it's not about money, it's not about material things, and um, you know they had everything, and they had a family, and they've had it all, and now they don't, and they're more blessed than ever. And I mean, I've heard that growing up yeah. all the time. That sometimes it's phrased as you know people in third world countries have less to distract them from God, and so their faith is more pure. Because there isn't anything between them and God. Right. Um, and then my cynical self says, well, you know, that's us. There's always something. <laughs> <laughs> Making an excuse for the inherent racism that we have against the global south because almost everybody's brown. Um, right. And, and, and they're Catholic anyway. They're not really Christians. Oh, right. I forgot. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, at least what evangelicals would say. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately. Yeah. Most. I mean, not all. Most. Which most. Seems, yeah. Which seems pretty. And that all seems pretty pretty callous i mean it, I, I don't know i've never had to live under a tarp on a bridge like i saw fam many many families doing in india yeah. you know what i mean yeah, like right. I, I would hard i would be hard pressed to say that they have it better than i do somehow and i would say just to agree with you or go along with you that i also heard that all the time um mm -hmm. you know don't strive for the good paying job don't worry about money mm -hmm. it just brings anxieties yep. those rich people are miserable yep. Yep. <laughs> you know if you have a boat you got to insure the boat um, then you got to worry about the friends that want to get on your boat. <laughs> There's just kind of uh, this exponential increase with problems. Yeah. Um, well, that's something I guess I heard at our table, like people talking about having high-paying high jobs and high stress and having like moderate-paying jobs that they like a lot better and their life is much better. And then, yeah, there's a, I don't remember the verse, but there's a verse that talks about Jesus being... Um, you know, we weren't encouraged, encouraged to be poor, but... Uh, following in following his example, there's a verse that says um, he he didn't work or anything, but he had a place to lay his head. He had a place to sleep. He had food, and and basically those are you know the necessities in, in our or the, my former Christian interpretation. So yeah, I don't know. To, to many people, that's all you need is is <laughs> the, the bare necessities. Yeah. yeah. And you should. So Jesus had chosen homelessness because mm -hmm. I remember a pastor pointing that to me years ago when yeah. I when I was on my sell it all mm -hmm. and he said yeah Jesus chose that not all or you know chose or called. was called to uh, called mm -hmm. chosen oh we're not going to get into that called chosen <laughs> it's Jesus. Yeah. Predestined. oh man yeah, we're going to have a podcast on just Jesus I love mm -hmm. Jesus he's fun oh man okay last uh, last bit and then we'll spend the last few minutes talking about the prosperity gospel so, uh, what is the prosperity gospel, and is it uh, valid theology? So, does anybody want to sum up the prosperity gospel in about 30 seconds? Yeah, I will. Um, 
it's basically, you know, if you if you have wealth and or health, you know, if, if you outwardly appear to to have it all together, uh, you're that means you're um, right with God. He's raining down his blessings on you. If you get ill, if you get divorced, if something bad happens to you, if you lose a job, um, that means you somehow have sinned. And God is um, withholding blessing from you. Oh, see, that troubles me so much. Going back to the Buddhist thing, like, suffering doesn't mean that you've done something wrong. Suffering just means that that happens. It's part of life. Yeah, what, let's touch on the illness, because, yeah. I mean, people die. People get sick. People, you, you, get a, a you get a cold. You get yeah. cancer. All these things. I mean, people get sick and we die. That's true. So how, I don't know how you, how does prosperity gospel play out in death? I'm not close to the prosperity gospel because I've never I've never bought into that in all my years of being a Christian. Well, I think I mean death is natural, but I think sickness is definitely seen as a deficiency that needs to be fixed. Mm-hmm. So then, if somebody has cancer, and it can it, be prayed away, yeah. okay, faced away, I I think there's bought a, away, essentially in some cases. Uh, can we just say this? This is like very abusive theology. Super is abusive. This, oh, terrible. I mean, I've, I have a question about that, but I yeah. mean, there's an analog too. I think in the kind of spiritualist or um, new age movements um, when people talk about manifesting, and the the inverse of manifesting, you know, where you picture good things happening and you believe in them and you open yourself up to the possibility of them. But then the inverse is also true in that ideology, which is that if you get cancer, it's because you have unresolved things in your subconscious and you're, you've been thinking bad or if someone, you know, does something to you that you don't like, it's you made it happen to yourself, which is again, I think is not a healthy relationship with suffering or, or, you know, and I don't know what that says about our thoughts about, A, how much we have, how much control we have. Yeah, I was going like, to say, this is not about, about something else giving you blessing from the outside. Right. It's all about you working. If, and if you can't work your ass yeah. where your thoughts good enough, well enough, or, then you're or a your, shitty person. Or your relationship with God. Like, <laughs> yeah. if you can't yeah. perform for God well enough, like, God's not going to dispense with the wealth. Like, you know, it's... It's bullshit. Whether, whether you're dealing with God or you're dealing with yourself, or it's just bad. universal energy or, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're... Yeah, it's this sense of control. Like, we have control over the things that happen to us. Right. So right. How, how do we talk to people, then, who are in these kind of situations? Because clearly there are a lot of people who have bought into the prosperity gospel. I guess my question is, like, it... Well, I can't answer whether or not it's spiritually bankrupt or not. It seems problematic to me. But my question is, I would like to talk to people who go to prosperity gospel churches and see what is, is, I I mean, I have to, I can't believe that it's all just greed or wanting, but a lot of it's emotional. So these churches sometimes not always also have a charismatic component. And so there's bringing bringing God upon them and having this emotional high and just they're constantly kind of being pumped up. And fed this high energy, yeah. um, which means in the, that just builds in the feeling that God can do anything. God can do anything. Um, and so I think that they legitimately believe that. Yeah. And they legitimately uh, are in a space where they feel like God is all powerful to do anything at any moment for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say I, I still believe that's possible. Um, I don't think it's necessarily probable. Mm-hmm. And I think they live in a space where it's highly probable. In a state of continual anticipation or expectation. A- of expectation or that receipt God will. Receipt. Yeah. So, so is, it, is it possible to say, can you be in a place where you hope for the best, but you, you know, like they say, prepare for not the worst, but no, kind of like you, want, you do want the best for yourself, for your friends, for your family, sure. and hopefully at some point to transcend for your enemies. That's the stretch, but let's all yep. hope that at some That's point right. we can get yeah, there. Absolutely. Uh, but you, but we also live in a world where you know the most righteous, humble, gracious individual dies of cancer, and it's a, it's a weird deal. So then you have this also realistic expectation. So how how do we say, you know, God, I, I really want, I want to I want to be blessed to be a blessing to others, which I think is healthy to say that. I mean, I don't think it's bad to say I want to do well and work hard so that I can bless somebody else. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Using your influence, whatever you've been given for others, 
But then also to go, oh, I can't just put it all on me and my good thoughts, my good vibes, my good prayers. Because then you'll end up, I think, beating yourself to death. I mean, you'll, when the you'll, bad things happen, who's to blame? Yeah. yeah. Um, how, how, do you, how do you live in that tension? But a lot of that is, is shaped by your spiritual leader yeah. and what they're teaching you. And if they're teaching you that it's all dependent on you, you may not be able to see outside of that bubble um, at all. And you may be trapped in that place where it is my fault. Um, and I think that's horrid. I think it's a rotten thing to do to people. Um, but it is real. And I think that people get stuck there. I think just the way you described it is where I think a lot of us would like to be is I believe and I have seen God do miraculous things, but I don't necessarily believe those are going to happen all the time. I've also seen him not take care of someone that I love very much that has pleaded and prayed and been obedient and done everything he possibly can to get God to answer and God will not answer. And then that has led him to really not believe anymore. And I don't blame him because there's, there's been no answer. Does that mean that it's all his fault? I'm not willing to say that because there are, you, you go down to Denver rescue mission and talk to those guys and women that are down there on the streets during the day like, did they make this happen? Have they chosen this? Some of them have, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. And they've done everything they can to get out of it, and they can't get out. Yeah, yeah. and I think that is, I mean, I agree with you, absolutely. That that's the opposite to me of, of somebody prospering or God putting prosperity on somebody would be punishing. Mm-hmm. It's punitive that, to think that way. So, and that, and that, doesn't, that, that doesn't do anybody any good when, when you get to a point if you're homeless or whatever where you say well i believe in god but uh you know if or uh, maybe i believe in god but if he exists uh, he's punishing me <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. because the then that's kind of a hopeless situation to be in what how do you how do you get out of that right if if, if if the god of the universe whatever you, however that is in your belief system is actively putting his thumb down on you for your thoughts or your actions yeah, right. or, or even just uh, something that was out of your control. Well, and how do you rec- reconcile that version of God with, you know, the, all the redeeming messages of the gospel? You know what I mean? And that, that, I mean, but that, that goes back to the whole, like, who is God and what is God? And that's why I like being an atheist, because I don't even have to think about those things anymore. <laughs> I don't even have to answer that question at all. Um, I think the one answer I got from someone who's a spiritual teacher of mine is, like, in Buddhism, and some, we've talked about, like, in prayer, you know, I've started saying something like a prayer, which is the metta, which is this idea of, like, may I find happiness, may you guys find happiness, and then may everyone find happiness, and finding space in your heart for those things. But... She said, but be really careful because in the United States, like we think of happiness as being like, you get everything you want and your life is blissful all mm-hmm. the time. And, um, but actually she said, but remember like Buddhism came out of a Asia 2,500 years ago. Happiness just means like connection with the people you're close to and enough to eat and a place to sleep where you don't get rained on. I mean like happiness is little, little. and humble. Sometimes acceptance is just, yeah. And acceptance, you know what I mean? And being content. And yeah. so... I don't know if that answered any questions, and you know, but that's that's sort of where I land. I kind of think that all Americans believe in prosperity gospel, and that it's yeah. not a religious thing. Um, it's part of American spiritualism. Yeah, I think it's really part of our core, is that we really judge people. Maybe not you guys. I do sometimes. Who, like, aren't doing very well, right? Because you think, you look at their life and you think, well, it's because you didn't do this. and Look at all these mistakes you made. But you didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we have, we're like a very Calvinist, you know, work ethic, work hard, pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of society. And, like, we do not look kindly on people that choose humble professions or... Just, just don't live Can't into this it. American dream. Yeah. Now, I realize at the same time that that theology is extremely harmful. And not everybody can be the CEO because some people have to clean the toilets. And, like, it doesn't even make sense because there's only one boss and, like, 100 peons. But I still find it really difficult to let go of our cultural assumptions about that, let alone the religious 
which I do think is very harmful because the second that something does go wrong and you can't fix it or pray yourself out of it, um, you're pretty much sort of scorned from those churches that really believe that. Uh-huh. I saw that um, growing up. Mm-hmm. I We weren't charismatic, but, you know, if you had a divorce, uh, you were kind of out. Totally. You know, if you had a job loss and, and you couldn't figure it out pretty quickly, you were, you're not in the circle anymore. One of our best teen uh, parent volunteers that we had um, was divorced. And even though she was one of the most active, loving, amazing, you know, pseudo moms to all of us, it was never let go, never forgotten that she was divorced. Never. You had to remember that, that she was divorced. So somehow she had fallen short and was being... And even as, even as recent as uh, 2003, when we went to the, got to the church that we were at for 15 years, there was a couple in our Sunday school class that had both been, they'd each been divorced and were now married, starting a family, and they would not let themselves be forgiven for that because of this narrative. Yeah. And that always really broke my heart because they were amazing and they have been great together and they have wonderful little girls and it makes me so sad that they have to carry around this narrative that you're not enough when they are more than enough. Hmm. Well, I think this kind of goes back full circle to the Beatitudes where Jesus looks at his followers and pretty much says, hey, those people, like you're talking about, uh, they're on my Father's side too. Mm-hmm. They're on God's side. They're, they're one. Mm-hmm. They're one with you. They're one with me. Mm-hmm. And I, I just looked this up. This is a great quote from uh, St. Teresa of Avila. And probably many of you have heard it before. So you could fill in your own God if you don't believe in a God. Uh, But she says that Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion is to look out to the earth. Yours are the feet by which he is to go about doing good. And yours are the hands by which he is to bless us now. Amen. Amen. We've never said amen, but... That's a good amen. Cheers. Cheers. Amen. Cheers. All right. Well, if you are uh, still listening, thank you very much. And we will be back next week. Make sure you go to brewtheology.org because by the time this is up, I think the website is going to be up. Holla. I think so. Yeah. So start a brew theology in your community and you can email us and uh, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hashtag brew theology. Peace, guys. Okay. So here's a PS for you. I realized that I totally forgot about the Cleveland Browns. At the beginning of the episode, I made a sports analogy metaphor about Tony Romo, Dak Prescott, and the Dallas Cowboys. And maybe half of you could care less. But for the rest of you, you're wondering, why isn't he bringing back the Cleveland Browns? Well, here's your Cleveland Browns sports metaphor to end tonight's episode with a little P.S., The Browns at this point are sitting at 0-9, the absolute worst team in football. The Browns, that's a team where if you're a quarterback, you go to die. They are an awful team. They've been horrible for years. Nobody likes the Browns except Browns fans. Browns fans are crazy. They're this tribe of animalistic, awesome, radical, and I mean this in a very good way, sweet fans. If you are uh, on the Browns team... You'll love the Browns fans because they're loyal no matter what. So this goes back to tribes. And as a sports guy, man, we have tribes every Sunday watching the NFL with the Dallas Cowboys, the Denver Broncos, and of course, a team as horrible as the Cleveland Browns. And no matter how bad your team is, you are loyal to that tribe. You'll do whatever it takes to uh, make sure that people know about your tribe with what you wear and how you talk and the stats. Even if the stats are horrible, It is your tribe. Again, whether you're a Dallas Cowboys winning team or a Cleveland Browns horrible team. Sorry, Cleveland fans, fans, but it is the truth. Now, here's my sum up here. This has everything to do with blessing. You can say, oh, the Browns aren't blessed. The Cowboys are, or vice versa. It doesn't matter. But once we get to a point in our tribal system, because that's how we're made up of as human beings, tribal. Once we get past that and start to see beyond our tribe, beyond our team, beyond the Browns and the Cowboys, like what would it look like for a Dallas Cowboys fan to sit across the table from a Browns fan, to have a meal, 
So then I make this challenge to people, whether you're a Trump supporter or you're a Trump protester, whether you're Team Hillary or not, whether you're young or old, person of color or not, Muslim, Christian, atheist, can we do something to where we can just sit across the table, get over our team for just a second, no matter how good or bad they are? What would it take? What would it take for us to not think about our own personal manifest destiny of our tribe, but said, what would it look like for us to be a blessing to the world? Browns fans, Cowboys fans, Trump fans, Trump haters. Let's do this. Grab a drink, go talk to somebody that you adamantly disagree with, and see what you have in common. Peace. Peace.